Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that's cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. So this is not a new episode of Wag the Dog. Sorry. However, we want to tell you about another great Canada Land podcast. So this season, Commons, which is our politics show, has been focusing on Canadian dynasties, on those various families in Canada that have had disproportionate, perhaps, power and influence over the affairs of this country. Uh, and so the first episode was on the Stronics. The second one was on the Irvings. And the third one is on the Fords. In the episode, Archie Mann takes you through the history of the Ford family and its rise to riches and power in Etobicoke, the city of Toronto, and now Ontario. Uh, I appear in the episode. And if you think of it like, you you know, through Wag the Dog, you often get these little glimpses of Rob and Doug Ford incidents past and things past, like an episode of, I don't know, Lost, where you have all these little you know flashbacks interspersed throughout, giving a fragmentary picture of what happened. Imagine an episode that's just one big, long flashback and gives you much of the story, most of the story, a lot of the story, an hour's worth of the story from beginning to end all at once. If you like Wagley Doug, we think you'll like this too. Oh, and he mispronounces my name repeatedly. <laughs> and I think, yes. Oh, and my name is Goldsby. G O L D S B I E, pronounced exactly like it's spelled. What no. is? How does he pronounce it? Uh, the first time he says Goldsby. <laughs> Throughout most episodes, he says Goldsby. Uh, it, it's Gold Goldsby. Yeah. I was surprised he won. Like in retrospect, there was shouldn't have been anything surprising about it. I believe he was leading all or most of the polls pretty reliably. But it was the first certainly the first time I'd ever had that that populist jolt where it's like, holy shit, not only are there people who will come out and vote for them, there are a lot of people we didn't even know would come out to vote who come out to vote for them and he has actually outperformed his polls somewhat. The sort of thing that we've sort of gradually gotten used to is like, oh, yeah, bad and qualified people can win elections. And it's actually not that hard to win an election if you have no trouble lying your ass off. Jonathan Goolsby, Canada Land's news editor, was there the night Rob Ford was elected in 2010. It was expected to be a close election. Modern Toronto is a city split between its downtown and the suburbs, physically, psychologically, and politically. Former Liberal Cabinet Minister George Smitherman was the man for the downtown elites. 
but Rob Ford had skyrocketed from out of nowhere to become the tribune of the suburbs. So Jonathan, a prototypical downtown man, made his way into Ford territory. I took the TTC out to the Toronto Congress Centre, which was my second time there, first time taking transit there, to Rob Ford's event. I believe polls closed at 8 o'clock. I got there, I think, maybe 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes after 8, and walking through the hall, uh, you know, realizing that the election had already been declared and that Rob Ford was the winner. That was, I imagine, I mean, maybe not not the same level of horror as people in the United States would have had when Donald Trump was elected, but there's that still, like, holy shit, we're... This is happening. <laughs> this is going to happen. Emotions in the Toronto Congress Centre were running high that night. It was intense. People were there. People were angry. People were amped. And when Rob Ford came in to die of the tiger, which of course I'll never forget, it was the first physically intense experience I remember having covering Rob Ford. I can't remember, I'd have to, if there were bouncers or what, but there was a lot of fucking shoving of people to make way for him. And I remember getting jostled around in a way that I was not used to covering politics, but would become used to in the, the coming years. Rob Ford ascended to the stage, beaming with pride. Draped around his neck was a garland of flowers given to him by a supporter. The people of Toronto are not divided. We are united. We are united all around. And on that stage was the rest of the Ford family. His wife, Renata, was beside him. Behind him, his sister, Kathy, his nephew, Michael, and his older brother, Randy, wearing a black cowboy hat. To his right was Doug Ford, draped in his own garland and who had just won Rob Ford's old city council seat. This was Toronto's new first family, but what most people didn't realize at the time is that almost all of them were harboring dark secrets that over the next decade, the whole city, the province, the country, and even the world would find out about. That wouldn't stop their rise. By the end of this story, the Fords will be even more powerful than when they started. But on that stage, at that moment, Rob Ford was still savoring his victory. Rob Ford did exactly what he said he was going to do. That is not what people would be saying four years from that night. Many people had predicted that the Ford mayoralty would end up being a deranged circus, but no one, honestly no one, could have predicted the chaos to come. But this wasn't the beginning of the Ford dynasty, and when Rob Ford died in 2016, that wasn't even close to the end. The Fords have long fancied themselves as the Canadian Kennedys, and in some ways they're right. They're a dynasty that today spans three generations. And right alongside the Trudeaus, they're one of the most famous political families that this country has ever produced. But their rise has been marred by violence and self-destruction at almost every turn. The story of the Ford family is tragic for them, for everyone who falls into their orbit, and for the city of Toronto. 
driven by a deep need to live up to the family patriarch, the Fords wreaked havoc on Toronto's politics and our collective psyche. Over a decade, all of their darkest secrets will be ripped into public view, and yet every time it looks like things couldn't get worse for them, somehow they end up stronger than ever. So who is this family that's captured Toronto and Ontario in such a short span? And for how long can they keep rising to the top despite never-ending scandals? I'm Archie Mann, and from Canadaland, this is Commons. Just west of downtown Toronto is the suburb of Etobicoke. But back when the four Ford siblings were growing up, it was its own city, and the Fords had the run of the place. Their father, Doug Ford Sr., was the patriarch of the family. Now, he grew up dirt poor during the Great Depression, but started his own business, Deco Labels and Tags, that turned him into a millionaire many times over. And by the 1990s, he was a member of Ontario's provincial parliament under Mike Harris's Conservatives. Here he is talking to the CBC back then. I raised my family out here. We started a business on a ping pong table in a basement. I've sponsored over 100 and some odd sports teams in, in this area. I went in the Somali community. I went in the Chinese people. I went in the dark people, black people, whatever you want. And a lot of people know me and they know my attitude. And I'm a straight shooter. I talk to people face to face. I don't talk behind their back. We just look at it this way. Damn the guns, damn the newspapers, damn everybody, because we're dedicated people. Doug Ford Sr. was eccentric. He wore cowboy hats and fur coats, and he collected art and knickknacks from around the world. In office, he was most famous for admonishing poor people for, well, being poor from the benches of Queen's Park. And his four children worshipped him. The Ford siblings were raised in extraordinary wealth and seemed to have a happy childhood. But by their teens and early 20s, things changed. The truth is that Rob, Doug, Randy, and Kathy have been surrounded by violence and criminality almost all of their adult lives. Sometimes they're victims, and sometimes they've been the perpetrators. Here's just a sampling of the strange, brutal world they inhabited as young adults. Now, the next part's pretty graphic, so you might want to skip ahead if you're squeamish. John Fillion, the Toronto City Councillor, tells this story about Randy Ford in his book, The Only Average Guy Inside the Uncommon World of Rob Ford. The year is 1981. And Randy Ford is 18. He's at a house party hosted by his sister, Kathy. Now, Glenn is a guy who's friends with Kathy's boyfriend, Michael Kicklis, who just so happens to be a white supremacist close to Wolfgang Droga, one of Canada's most notorious hate mongers, but that's beside the point. Things have been tense between Glenn and Randy ever since Randy sold Glenn some bad acid. But at the party, they make up by doing bright yellow rails of PCP together. But the music kind of sucked, so Glenn and his friends decide to leave. And as they're about to walk out, one of Glenn's friends says, What a shitty party. That's when Randy attacked. Quote, The guy's back was up against the wall, and Randy just kept hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. His teeth went through his lip. The fight continued into the hallway and outside. Eventually, Glenn and a friend made their way to the parking lot to try to find their car. 
but Randy and Michael Kicklis followed them with metal pipes. Randy swung and hit Glenn in the head, sending him to the concrete. And here's what Glenn told John Fillion happened next. Quote, He sat on top of me and had his legs over my arms. I was helpless. His face was right above my face. It was in slow motion. His mouth was coming down, and I was moving my head from side to side, begging him not to do it. And he came down with his teeth, and he got my nose in his mouth. I closed my eyes and begged him not to bite it off, and he bit right through until his teeth actually touched, and just the tip was hanging there. Randy got up without a word. Glenn says he was smiling. You heard that right. Randy Ford bit off a man's nose because someone said a party was shitty. According to a Globe and Mail investigation, Randy would spend some of the next few years of his life dealing drugs. He was eventually arrested for kidnapping a man who owed him money. Randy was the most volatile member of the family, but he wasn't the only one involved in the criminal world. And according to that same investigation, so was his younger brother Doug. Ten people told the Globe and Mail that Doug Ford was a mid-level hash dealer for seven years in Etobicoke until he was 22. He ran with a group called the R.Y. Drifters, named after the Royal York Plaza, where they dealt most of their drugs. Here's Jonathan Goldsby again. And I think this was something that got lost pretty quickly, is that it wasn't just that he sold some hash, that he was like a mid-level drug dealer. He was not just like a street-level dealer. He was the one who I believe was organized the supply for the street-level dealers, which means he was getting it from someone else who probably had other criminal connections. Rob Ford also dealt drugs, but he wasn't as committed to the trade as his older brothers. Here's someone who bought drugs from Rob that spoke to the CBC's Fifth Estate. Rob was a drug dealer at Scarlet Heights Collegiate in my era. Rob would brag about it. And Rob started to abuse drugs and alcohol from a fairly early age. Now, Kathy Ford, the oldest of the four, had her own serious issues. She flirted with white supremacy in the 1980s, mostly because of her boyfriend Michael Kiklis's connections. He was one of the guys who beat up Glenn with a pipe earlier in the episode. And Kathy's also been a heavy drug user, on and off for most of her life. If you listen to any member of the Fords talk for long enough, they'll inevitably say something along the lines of family comes first, and there's nothing more important than family. But if you've been listening to this series, you know that almost all of these dynastic families turn on each other one way or another. Now, in 1988, Doug Ford Sr. was convinced that one of his four adult children had stolen from him. He'd always kept a big bundle of bills hidden in the basement. It was enough to buy a car, a pretty nice one. But it had disappeared, and Doug Sr. was pissed. So he did what any reasonable person would do. He got all of his kids to take a lie detector test. Over a few days, the four Ford siblings, as well as Kathy's husband at the time, Ennio Sturpe, strapped themselves in and answered questions from a retired Toronto police officer. All of them denied taking the money, but the polygraph said that Kathy and her husband Ennio had been lying. Kathy and Ennio split up, and she moved in with her old high school boyfriend, Michael Kiklis, the former white supremacist. But a few months later, Ennio would break into their home with a shotgun and shoot Michael Kiklis in the chest right in front of Kathy. He was dead before he made it to the hospital. Ennio went to prison, and Kathy moved back home. That was only one of the strange, tragic twists in Kathy's life. 
Later on, another romantic partner would accidentally shoot her in the face. Luckily, Kathy survived. Now, we should remember here that this was one of the wealthiest families in Etobicoke. They were the local power brokers, and Doug Ford Sr. was a proud man who wanted his children to carry on his legacy. Kathy and Randy continued to be the black sheep in the family, but then there were the two younger brothers, Rob and Doug. Doug was considered to be the smart one, and he was groomed to take over the family business, deco labels and tags. But Rob, he wanted to follow his father's footsteps into politics. Rob Ford adored his father and craved his approval. Quote, my dad's my political hero, my business hero, my hero overall. End of story, he once told a Toronto Life reporter. And in 1996, he did try and failed to win a seat on Toronto City Council. But four years later, with his brother Doug acting as his campaign manager, he won. He even got an endorsement from the Toronto Star of all places. And for the next 10 years, Rob Ford became one of the city's most memorable politicians. one of the, the the oversized cartoonish personalities at Toronto City Hall, Toronto City Council, and certainly had been since his, he was first elected in 2000. He was a character out of fiction seems not generous enough. There are no parties in Toronto City Council, but more than almost anyone else, Rob Ford was a party of one. He was an outsider, and I don't just mean an outsider of Toronto City Council or a political class, even though he's very much the centre of a political class. Except for subways and football, Rob Ford opposed pretty much any government spending. He wasn't just an anti-tax conservative. Rob Ford would rail against councillor expenses, bike lanes, the cost of watering plants at City Hall, arts and culture funding, and a whole host of other things. He had few allies in council, and even fewer friends. He would get into shouting matches with his colleagues on the council floor. Most city hall watchers considered him a brute. And he was best known for insulting just about every group of people in the city. In a few years, he had insulted gay people, trans people, Chinese people, homeless people, drug users, cyclists who were killed by cars, people with AIDS, and Italians. And then there was the far more serious stuff. The stuff that reminds you that he's a member of the same Ford family, so surrounded by drugs and violence. He was arrested for drunk driving in Florida, and was kicked out of a Leafs game for getting hammered and screaming at a couple, and I quote, You right-wing communist bastards, who the fuck do you think you are? Are you a teacher? Do you want your little wife to go over to Iran and get raped and shot? In 2006, Doug Ford Sr., the patriarch of the family, died. And though the public didn't know it at the time, it was around then that in addition to his heavy drinking, Rob Ford started using crack cocaine. And in 2008, he was charged with assaulting his wife, Renata, though the charges were dropped. Here's Rob Ford publicly responding to the charges. There's no secret our family's had some trials and tribulations and uh, gotta weather the storm and keep moving on. Despite his many scandals, Rob Ford announced he would run for mayor in 2010, and his brother Doug would run to take over his city council seat in Etobicoke. Few people took him seriously at first, but right from the beginning, Rob Ford began to rise. Ford started to gather media attention, a lot of it. 
And so the things that Rob Ford had been harping on for years, particularly city councillor expenses, suddenly became front-page stories in the Toronto Star. The Star had a new editor at the time, Michael Cook, and that was something he was hammering on and something the paper was hammering on. And so suddenly the things that Rob Ford had been into, had been pushing on, had been the most vocal person on for years, had become the main story. One of the frontrunners for mayor, the young progressive Adam Jambrone, went down in a sex scandal early in the race. And Ford's simple political slogans connected with many Torontonians. Ford would stop the gravy train at City Hall, he'd end the war on the car, he'd bring back respect for taxpayers, and he'd build subways, subways, subways. And suburban voters, many of whom had seen David Miller, the mayor at the time, as a downtown know-it-all, began to rally to Ford's side. In fact, over a few years, Ford had been building a substantial base of voters around Toronto. Rob Ford had a weekly radio spot on AM640, and he built up a real substantial and fervent audience base through that. It's 814, and Robbie Ford joins us at Council of Award 2 at Tobago North with the Rob Ford Report. I love this. The Rob Ford, Ford gave Report. out his personal phone number to anyone who would ask and would personally help out his constituents with whatever city problem they had. I don't care what you say, mark my words, somebody from Scarborough downtown calls me, I'm going to return their call, I'm going to be right at their front door tomorrow. His conception of governance, his conception of being a civic representative, was basically giving the best possible service to a given constituent of his ward. Just make them feel like they were heard. And in a city where most people feel ignored by the government, having a city councillor personally help you with your problems is a powerful thing. And it built loyalty. People who are so accustomed to being given nothing by government and paid no attention by government thought they had found in him someone who genuinely cared. By the time Ford was on the cusp of winning the 2010 election, his voters started to coalesce themselves into something different. An army. A movement. They called themselves Ford Nation. Ford Nation broadly was, and to an extent is, the group of people who are or were Ford family diehards, or particularly Rob Ford diehards. While there are undoubtedly people who would lay down their lives for Doug Ford, there were more for Rob Ford. It's a level of dedication to a politician or to really any non-familial human being that I will probably never understand where there were people who, for Rob Ford in particular, loved him on a deep and profound and even spiritual level and were happy to consider themselves part of a nation. The absolute profundity of feeling that some people had for him was enormous and unsettling. And Ford Nation is surprisingly diverse. And partly because Rob Ford was the rare kind of populist leader for whom like fears around immigration and security were not central to his platform, he was able to attract a base of people who really liked his other populist ideas or the slogans and phrases. If Ford Nation was like a religion, their most important religious holiday was Ford Fest, an annual event hosted by the family with music, food, and occasionally beer, all paid for by the Ford family. It was, it was their tradition, it was their celebration. It was a show of strength. It was their idea of noblesse or oblige. The same way that, you know, 
David Mervish carries on his father's tradition of handing out turkeys on Thanksgiving. Rob Ford won 47% of the vote in a three-way race. It wasn't a landslide, but it was a dominant win. When he was inaugurated as mayor, he brought Don Cherry to swear him in. Well, actually, I'm wearing Pinko for all the Pinkos out there that ride bicycles and everything. I thought I'd get it in. Rob's honest. He's uh, truthful. And that's why I say he's going to be the greatest mayor this city has ever, ever seen, as far as I'm concerned. And put that in your pipe, you left-wing coots. Thank you very much. Progressives freaked out after Cherry's comments, but that turned out to be one of the more normal things that happened during the Ford years. On his first day on the job, Rob Ford locked himself in his office. And while that might seem like a metaphor for what was to come, initially Rob Ford was actually pretty successful. Council passed big portions of his agenda. He privatized garbage collection in half of the city, scrapped the vehicle registration tax, and won major concessions from unions representing city workers. And always at his side was his brother, Doug Ford, now a city councillor who acted as essentially co-mayor with his brother. A lot of the early framing around Doug Ford was around this idea that, oh, he's the smart one. He's the one who'll keep Rob Ford in check. He'll, he'll be the guiding light. And, you know, within, oh, not even a year, within like within several months, it became very evident that Doug Ford, although certainly different from Rob, is not a smarter person and, in fact, actually has worse political instincts. If anything, Rob would often keep him in check and he would often get Rob into trouble. He's definitely more cunning than Rob would tend to be. But because, I mean, he has a little bit more of an ability to, to, to plan and strategize and think ahead. But his political instincts are generally terrible and they're vindictive and pugilistic to a degree beyond Rob's. Doug Ford acted like he was, in fact, the mayor. Here's Mark Toohey, Rob Ford's former chief of staff, speaking to TVO. I can tell you absolutely 100% that there was no time ever while I was there that Doug Ford was ever sent out to speak for Rob Ford. He just did it. He just did it. Mm -hmm. And everybody would assume, because he's the mayor's brother, that he's speaking with some sense of official uh, import, and really he never was. Despite his early successes, Rob Ford was still Rob Ford. And in short order, the scandals piled up. He was seen incoherently drunk all around town. He tried to attack a Toronto Star reporter. The police were called to his home twice for domestic disturbances. His mother-in-law called 911 alleging that he was drunk and trying to take his children to Florida. And by 2012, he was skipping work, driving drunk, saying offensive things, and had completely lost control over his political agenda. He was leading the news cycle almost every single day in the city of Toronto. And if he had left office then, many people would have seen him as one of the most disastrous mayors in Toronto's history. But of course, he didn't leave office. And then the bomb dropped. You know the one I'm talking about. If you were a journalist living in Toronto, you remember where you were when you heard about the crack video. I was working at the Toronto Star at the time, but I had a day off, so I was drinking with a few friends on a patio. And when someone told me that Gawker had a story about a video of Toronto's mayor smoking crack, I honestly didn't believe it. Even for Rob Ford, that would be absurd. And Jonathan Gouldsby? Oh, he remembers where he was that day. I took a cab up to my friend's book launch, and as the cab was 
pulling over, I looked at my phone and I saw a friend had tweeted the Gawker story. Ran over to the restaurant, which is on the second or third floor, on the spiral staircase on the way up. I remember like someone was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? I was like, Rob Ford smokes crack or something like that. So I ran in. I see Robin Doolittle. Robin Doolittle was a reporter at the Toronto Star who had recently written about the mayor's substance abuse. I knew she had broken stories about Rob Ford, and I went up to her and she asked me how I was doing. And I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing okay. Have you, have you seen this? And I showed her my phone. And I've never seen anyone dart out of a room faster. What Jonathan didn't realize was that Robin Doolittle had seen the same video of the mayor of Toronto smoking crack cocaine. The star would hammer out that story and publish it that night. The video showed Rob Ford smoking crack and acting completely incoherently. And that video was up for sale. The reporters were provided with a photo as well. Rob Ford arm-in-arm with three men. And one of them, Anthony Smith, had recently been murdered. Neither the Toronto Star or Gawker had the tape itself, though. Today, the tape is public. Here, give it a listen. I'd go fucking, uh, Don't do it. The kids spend this the kids are and, important to you. That's, that's, you know, that's what it. drives you, baby. That's what I love. So, that's why we love you. But at the time, all the public had to go on was what three reporters say they witnessed and a photo of Rob Ford next to a murdered man. For a week, Ford was silent, but then he finally made a statement. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity to address a number of issues that have circulated in the media over the last few days. There has been a serious accusation from the Toronto Star that I use crack cocaine. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. As for a video, I cannot comment on a video that I have never seen or does not exist. Of course, Rob Ford was lying through his teeth, but almost half of the city believed him. The next few weeks, I was working in the radio room at the Toronto Star, listening to police scanners at weird hours of the night and taking calls from the general public. And I can't begin to tell you the number of calls I got where people would just swear at me and accuse the Toronto Star of making up all of these horrible lies about their beloved mayor. And even though they were breaking one of the biggest stories in Canadian history, the paper lost subscriptions because so many Torontonians sided with the Fords. In an instant, Rob Ford became one of the most famous politicians in the world. He was lampooned on late night and became a media sensation from Nebraska to Nairobi. He eventually even became a Jeopardy clue. In 2013, Rob Ford, mayor of this fourth largest city in North America, first said he smoked weed not crack. Then, yes, okay, crack too. <laughs> Chip? What is Toronto? Yes, that's the city. In the and if you weren't living in Toronto at the time, it is impossible to convey the feeling of it. Every single person in the city was having the same conversation at once. In every coffee shop or bar or restaurant, people were interrupting each other to argue about whether or not the crack video was real, if the media was out to destroy Rob Ford, or if Rob Ford was going to resign or be arrested or assassinated. And any time there was a Ford press conference, all work would come to a complete standstill. Toronto politics became this weird mix of incredibly serious stuff and the truly surreal. One minute there were reports of the mayor of Toronto not only driving drunk, but drinking while he was driving drunk. And the next, we would hear about a scheme to film a fake crack tape starring a Rob Ford lookalike named Slurpee and sell it for cash. 
After months and months of lies, Rob Ford would finally fess up. You asked me a couple questions, and what were those questions? Do you smoke crack cocaine? Exactly. Yes, I have smoked crack cocaine. When, but sir? no, do I? Am I an addict? No. When have you have I tried it? Um, probably in one of my drunken stupors, probably approximately about a year ago. I answered your question. You asked the question properly, I'll answer it. How many yes, times? I've, made mis- I've made mistakes. I, all I can do now is apologize and move on. But even after that, the insanity didn't end. Take this night, about a year after the crack tape news dropped. For reporters covering Rob Ford, there was no such thing as a day off. Jonathan Goldsby was settling in to watch Saturday Night Live when he got a text. There were reports on Twitter that Rob Ford had gotten kicked out of a hockey game for being too drunk. Were you drinking at the game tonight? Were you drinking at the game? Mayor Ford, were you drinking at the game? I want everybody out here. Let's get out of here. So he wanted to go back to Toronto City Hall, and you know, was wondering why would he want to go back to City Hall late, being drunk on a Saturday night. I mean, he could be wanting to do other things there, but also he may have just left his car there. And as it turned out, that was what happened. And so I decided to go over there to see see what was up. There have been very many credible reports of him having a tendency to drive drunk. Hard evidence of that remained elusive, at least among journalists, among the public. Stood there for an hour with my camera ready to maybe catch the mayor attempting to drive drunk and or goodness knows what else. It was pretty scary because Rob Ford, when inebriated, can be pretty out of sorts and not just in a funny way. There's certainly many accounts of him being very aggressive with people, often his own staff. And so it was genuinely scary. After about an hour, I gave up. I was about to leave. I walked around City Hall, and I saw the lights were on in his office. And the TV was on, I believe, playing CP24, which suggested, okay, he's still there. By that point, Daniel Dale and Robin Doolittle, who were both reporters for the Toronto Star at the time, had joined him. And so the three of us were trying to strategize on, like, how do we intercept him as he leaves his office? And as they stood outside his office, that's when they smelled it. The Rotunda City Hall had a bizarre burnt rubber smell or a burnt plastic smell to it that I previously hadn't smelled. You know, quickly Googling crack cocaine smell, it didn't take very long to figure out, okay, this is one way that some people describe crack cocaine as smelling. They don't know if the mayor of Toronto was smoking crack in his office that evening, but it would become clear later on that he was, in fact, still smoking crack around that time. Eventually, we saw him being escorted by security out of his office to his back area, and Robin and I ran downstairs to the parking lot to see him being put in a cab by security and go on his way. So after that, I went home and... I think I was about to put on Saturday Night Live when I just looked, checked online, and discovered he did not, in fact, take the cab home that night. I went to Music Night Club to continue his evening. In a lot of ways, that was just a typical day during the last few years of Ford's mayoralty. Rob Ford never resigned, though he did have his mayoral powers stripped from him. He was never charged or arrested. And as the mayoral election was coming up in 2014, Ford was still planning to run. And at least a third of the city's voters would have surely backed him. But then in September, just weeks before the election, Rob Ford was diagnosed with cancer. He dropped out of the mayor's race, his brother Doug taking his spot. 
Doug lost, but Rob won back his old city council seat. And even though he was technically still in politics, the last year and a half of his life was more about fighting the cancer than anything else. Jonathan Goolsby remembers visiting the last Ford Fest that Rob Ford was alive for. It was a sad affair, as you would probably imagine at that point, given, you know, he wasn't too well. For whatever reason, the Fords had booked it later in the year than normal. I think it was early October. It gets cold in the evenings in early October. It was an evening thing. It was out in a space they'd used before, which was never that great, this parking lot next to the Sears outlet. It wasn't well attended. You know, people were coming up and greeting Rob Ford, but he was less like, you know, a religious figure in a tent than like, more like a um a character actor who had some recurring part on a lesser Star Trek series at Fan Expo. You know, people walking by, some people going up, getting autographs, taking pictures, but mostly like, you know, kind of take it or leave it. Previously, you'd have to line up for an hour to get burgers. I, I When it got to that point, I wouldn't even bother. But that night, I had so many fucking burgers because they were just trying to get rid of it. There was so much and they had left over and they were just trying to, you know, people were taking them away by the armful. It definitely seemed like, I don't know, the flickering end of Ford Nation. Rob Ford died in March 2014. The fact that Rob Ford passed away from something that had nothing to do with anything else was remarkable in and of itself. It often felt like he could die at any time, and it also felt like he could kind of live forever, really. It was really amazing that he pushed, he'd go so hard and push himself so far beyond a normal person, and you would assume that if he were to die, it would be related to drugs or a heart attack or diabetes or any or something you know, related directly or indirectly to his lifestyle and so the fact that he ultimately died from a form of cancer that it has no known links to any lifestyle factor whatsoever it threw everything into a different perspective rob was only 46 when he died at his funeral doug ford made a vow god bless each and every one of you and Rob, I'm going to miss you like cra crazy. I love you more than anything in the world. And don't worry, Ford Nation will continue. We'll continue respecting the taxpayers. Thank you. And he was right. Ford Nation did live on. Michael Ford, Rob's 22-year-old nephew, took over his city council seat. At this point, it was clear that the Ward 2 seat in Etobicoke was the personal property of the Fords. And as for Doug, even while Rob was sick, he mulled a run for provincial politics, or maybe federal politics, or maybe another run for mayor. And then one day, there was an opening. The leader of the progressive conservatives, Patrick Brown, resigned amidst scandal. Ford Nation marched on the PC party and took control. And within a few months, Doug Ford was the premier of Ontario and the second most powerful politician in the country. Rob Ford was a man of phenomenon like almost nothing else. Rob Ford was probably the first time that the city of Toronto had a unified symbol or identity. Everyone had feelings about him, either they you know, loved him or despised him or whatever. There was this 
commonality as the same way that you can pretty much see the CN Tower from anywhere in the city. It was someone who helped Toronto reveal itself to itself for the first time. And even after Rob's death, the Ford still marched on. His wife, Renata Ford, is right now running federally for the People's Party of Canada. Michael Ford, his nephew, is still a city councillor. And Doug? Well, Doug has brought all of his slogans and all of his vindictiveness to the second highest office in the land. But this second Ford saga, Ford 2.0, it's missing a lot of the heart of the original. It's a bigger budget, it's brighter, shinier, it has a bigger audience than it ever had before and bigger impact, but it, it lacks the things that made the original special and unique and nuanced. In office, Doug Ford has tried to appoint his friend to be the head of the OPP. He cut Toronto City Council in half for no good reason except that he could. He's been caught in numerous patronage scandals. And a year and a half into his mandate, he is horribly unpopular. But that's never stopped a Ford before. Jonathan doesn't think this is the end of the story, not by a long shot. I could definitely see him being one of the few politicians to actually jump from one level of government like that to another. And I could see him becoming prime minister. The Fords are millionaires, surrounded by crime and drugs and violence, who have turned themselves into one of the most important political families in this country through sheer force of will. And despite all of the tragedy that they've suffered in their lives, Jonathan at least doesn't have that much sympathy for them. They were born into extraordinary circumstances and decided to make everything about themselves and to drag the city and now the province down in their quest to impress their late father. That's your episode of Commons for the week. This episode was built on reporting done by Robin Doolittle, Kevin Donovan, Jonathan Gouldsby, John Fillion, CBC's The Fifth Estate, and many, many, many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CanadaLandCommons, that's C-M-N-S. You can also email me, Arshi, at CanadaLandShow.com. This episode was produced by myself and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. And our music is by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, please help us make this show. You can support us and get ad-free podcasts by going to patreon.com slash Canadaland.